0: Won't you stand? Won't you stand by me? i just seen a little more time. i just seen a little more time with you. How
1: many steps you'll
0: stand by me? Won't
1: you stand?
2: Won't
3: you
0: stand by me?
4: Shifting our focus to a continuous coverage of the Israel-Hamas war, well, in the latest, Israel's main ally, the U.S., has kept up its support while expressing concerns over the growing casualty toll and humanitarian crisis in Gaza. U.S. President Joe Biden spoke with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, pressing him to protect civilian lives in Gaza. Well, the conversation between Biden and Netanyahu comes the day after the UN Security Council passed the resolution demanding safe and unhindered delivery of humanitarian assistance. However, senior Hamas officials criticized the watered-down UN Security Council resolution. Take a listen. Meanwhile, smoke filled the sky over Gaza morning as air and ground offensive continues across the territory. In the latest casualty update from Gaza's Health Ministry, around 20,000 Palestinians have been killed and 53,320 wounded in the Israeli offensive. According to the IDF, an Israeli fighter jet, a SAS, pardon me, an Israeli fighter jet killed a Hamas leader, Hassan Atrash, in the Rafah area in southern Gaza. Atrash was responsible for the trade and equipping of the military arm of Hamas. The Israeli army also released footage that it says shows its operations around the Issa area in the Gaza Strip as well as the airstrikes on different Hamas targets. Well another video released by the IDF shows defense minister Israeli defense minister Yoav Gallant and emergency minister Benny gans visiting troops in northern Gaza. Israeli military spokesperson Daniel Hagari said that his country's troops were fighting in complex areas in Khan Yunis. He claimed that as a result of Israeli operations to destroy tunnels Many militants were emerging above ground and firing at the Israeli forces. On the other hand, the devastation in the central area of the southern Gaza city of Khan Yunus could be seen, where some bodies were still lying on the streets as animals roamed around them. (laughs) On the other hand, the videos released by the Hamas military wing allegedly showed an attack on the Israeli soldiers in Beit al-Haya. The video shows five men in green military wear walking near a building before multiple weapons appear to be fired at them. Meanwhile, Iran has rejected all US allegations of its involvement in planning attacks on commercial vessels. Well, the attacks that were carried out by Yemen's Houthis in the Red Sea, as per the media reports, that is. Well, the Iranian deputy foreign minister kept on emphasizing on Houthi's independent actions and capabilities of carrying out the attacks. Iran, which is a staunch supporter of the group, has officially denied supplying arms to the Houthis. Now, this repeated denial comes after a White House statement where it insisted on Tehran's deep involvement. In a statement on Friday, national security spokesperson said that Iran's intelligence was critical for the Houthi attacks on commercial vessels in the Red Sea. (laughs) Watson further said, and allow me to quote here again, this is consistent with Iran's long-term material support and encouragement of the Houthi's destabilizing actions in the region. Now, the White House's accusations also prompted a reaction from the UK. The nation's foreign secretary, David Cameron, called Iran a thoroughly destructive force in the West Asian region and in the world too. He promised that the UK will increase its sanctions against Iran in the near future. Now The Houthis, who control major parts of Yemen, have launched over 100 drone and missile attacks on Red Sea merchant vessels. They claim that these actions are in support of the Palestinians facing Israeli bombing in Gaza. These attacks have forced shippers across the world to alter their routes. Now, they are navigating around the southern tip of Africa to avoid the danger zone of the Red Sea. Now, while the US has authorized the the use of Russian sanctioned assets to help Ukraine in its war efforts, Russia is not holding back and has started to impose sanctions on Western nations. Russia has restricted Western companies selling the Russian assets from withdrawing the proceeds in dollars and euros, imposing additional de facto currency controls in an effort to shore up the weakening ruble. Western companies exiting Russia must agree on a sale price in rubles or face delays and even losses on the amounts that can be transferred abroad. Well, Putin has signed a decree to take temporary control of assets belonging to some Western companies in Russia in retaliation against foreign moves against Russian companies abroad and warned the Kremlin could seize more. The companies affected include those from Norway, Denmark, Spain, Finland, Austria and Germany. In a recent move, Putin added that Russia's biggest car dealership Rolf to a list of foreign owned companies put under the temporary management of the Russian state. Now Rolf belongs to a Cyprus based company.
5: memory <coughs> of the 14 staff and students killed has been growing with people leaving small candles and flowers on the cobblestones. Crowds were seen huddled on the streets, mourning and consoling each other. One can only hope that this tragedy of the worst mass shooting since the Czech Republic emerged as an independent state 30 years ago is a one-off incident.
6: North Korea test launched its most powerful solid fuel intercontinental ballistic missile on the 18th of December. The launch of a Song 18 came barely a day after the nuclear powered submarine USS Missouri made its port in Busan. Even more worrying was the joint US South Korean warning that a nuclear attack by Pyongyang would mean the end of the Kim Jong-un regime. A defiant Kim Jong-un though has warned Washington from making a wrong decision against it. Pyongyang has conducted a record-breaking number of weapons tests this year to gauge what it claims is its war readiness against the mounting U.S. hostility in the Korean Peninsula. Our next point gets more.
7: North Korea first conducted a nuclear test in 2006. Since then, United Nations Security Council has adopted many resolutions, calling on North Korea to halt its nuclear and ballistic missiles programs, but to no avail. Pyongyang has repeatedly said that it will never give up its nukes program, which it considers essential for its very survival. Last year, it declared itself an irreversible nuclear power. This year, upping the ante, it has carried out a record-breaking number of banned weapons tests, including last month's launch of a military satellite. The military satellite, it claimed, was providing images of US and South Korean military sites. And on the 18th of December, North Korea's most powerful solid fuel intercontinental ballistic missile, Kwasong in T, was launched. In attendant was the North Korean leader Kim Jong un with his young daughter a familiar sight off late. After the launch, Kim vowed to accelerate the nuclear buildup and issued a warning to the U.S. Kwasong-18 is the largest missile in the North Korean arsenal which flew just over a thousand kilometers and reached a maximum altitude of 6,518 kilometers accurately hitting its intended target, an empty part of sea. It has a potential range of more than 15,000 kilometers, which would cover all of the U.S. It used solid fuel, which makes missiles easier to transport and faster to fire than the liquid-fueled versions. Monday launch marked the third time this year, North Korea had tested a solid fueled ICBM after launches in April and July. Analysts are of the opinion but the launch signifies consistent efforts to improve the technology Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida condemned the test launch.
8: The launches are not only a clear violation of UN Security Council resolutions but
3: also a threat to peace and stability of the region and we strongly condemn them.
7: In retaliation, the next day, the two allies US and South Korea along with Japan activated a system to share real-time data on North Korean launches. The conservative government of South Korean President Yoon Suk-kyo has made concerted efforts recently to improve historically strained ties with Japan once their colonial masters. On Wednesday, the United States flew a long-range bomber B-1B in joint drills with South Korean and Japanese fighter jets. This show of strength from both sides is escalating the already heightened tensions in the Korean peninsula. A misstep and all hell might break loose. Both sides would do well to exercise some caution.
6: Third largest country by size has been ravaged by war for the past eight months. The conflict between the Sudanese armed forces and the paramilitary rapid support forces erupted on the 15th of April. The RSF and the army had shared power with the civilians after the 2019 overthrow of the former strongman, Umar al-Bashir. And in 2021, the army and the RSF joined hands together to stage a coup. But relations soured between the army and the RSF over the planned integration of the paramilitary RSF into their regular army. Since the fighting began in the middle of April, it has displaced more than 7 million people. It has left the capital city Khartoum in complete ruins. It has precipitated a humanitarian crisis and has triggered the ethnically driven killings in Darfur. And now, Sudan's second largest city, Wad Madani, has fallen to the RSF. Wad Madani has been for many months a hub for hundreds of thousands of people who have been displaced by war. But the question is this. Will the capture of Wad Madani now mark a decisive turn in this war?
9: The Game of Thrones in the strategically located and agriculturally rich Sudan took a major turn this past week as winter is coming. The city of Wad Madani, about 170 kilometers southeast of the capital Khartoum, is the capital of the Al Jazeera state. On the 15th of December, residents of Wad Madani woke up to sounds of gunfire and explosions. Previously under the Sudanese army control, Wad Madani had come under attack from the paramilitary rapid support forces. A major aid hub, Wad Madani provided refuge to hundreds of thousands of people displaced from the capital Khartoum and the nearby towns. Its fall on the 18th of December was acknowledged by the Sudanese army the next day, who said that their forces withdrew from positions after the advance of its paramilitary rivals. RSF's entry into the city triggered a mass exodus. Reportedly up to 300,000 people fled the city, with some among them already displaced by the devastating war. These people, uprooted from their homes, were already struggling to find alternative sources of income after losing their jobs. Muhammad Ali, a civil servant internally displaced from Khartoum, has been making sandwiches at a kiosk to sustain himself. The missile hit and the walnut tree was smashed to pieces. The window was
5: smashed too. The car was destroyed. I have chopped and dried the bits of wood and can use them now for bourgeois
1: custom.
9: In recent weeks, the RSF have gained momentum, consolidated their grip on the West Darfur region, and seized new territory stretching east towards the capital Khartoum. The Sudanese army boasts of aircraft, but has little effective infantry, and is in control of eastern and northern Sudan. RSF is a hardened force that grew out of militias. The army itself deployed almost two decades ago to brutally suppress an insurgency in Darfur. It has held most of Khartoum since the early days of the war in mid-April. RSF Chief Mohammed Hamadan Dagalo alleged that his fighters had attacked Wad Badani as a preemptive strike, upon learning that the army was preparing an offensive on Khartoum. Many people have also fled to the port of Sudan, where the situation was perceived to be more stable since the city is not under the direct influence of the conflict but in the port of sudan also the influx of refugees has overburdened the local shelters we have been plagued by all kinds of diseases since we came to the shelter my aunt died at the shelter because of a heart attack another relative was sent to another city for treatment many people here are sick but there are no professional doctors the food is scarce and adults have to give most of their food to children Even prior to the conflict, about a quarter of Sudan's population was facing acute hunger. The deteriorating security situation has only imperiled the lives of thousands trapped. Both the generals Fatah Al-Burhan and Hamadan Dagalo have been positioning themselves as saviors of Sudan and guardians of democracy in a country which has experienced only brief democratic interludes. This latest conflict not only diminishes any hopes of a transition to democracy, but has created a humanitarian crisis which is only worsening by the day.
6: On the issue of terrorism, the Indian External Affairs Minister S. has said that the mood of the nation has now undergone a sea change from the time when it was India was ready to turn the other cheek. He stressed that the time has now come to respond to cross-border terrorism and also to impose a cost. Listen. A
5: lot of people were very confused till they saw
8: the true graphic impactful face of terrorism of twenty sixty nine. Now,
5: what we need to do first is we need to counter. Because, you know. Uh, I know that people who said, oh, we had a very smart strategy of turning the other cheek. I don't think that's the, it's not just the mood of the nation, I don't think
8: it makes sense. I don't think it makes strategic sense. Fresh
6: tensions emerge between Afghanistan and Pakistan, Afghanistan's Taliban government is planning to build a hydroelectric dam in the eastern part of Afghanistan. And this has raised a lot of concerns within Pakistan. The spokesperson for Taliban's Water and Energy Ministry has signaled that the survey and design of this hydropower plant is completed. On the other side, the Pakistani Minister for Balochistan Province has slammed the move, warning that building a dam on the Kunar River will be considered as nothing less than an act of hostility against the Pakistani state and its interests. The 480-kilometre-long Kunar River originates in northeastern Afghanistan and it merges with the Kabul River before flowing downstream into Pakistan. Since the two neighbors have never signed a bilateral water sharing agreement, Kabul's plans to build dams on major rivers will reduce the fresh water flow to Pakistan. That this holds potential for fresh conflict between the two nations. Only recently, Pakistan's decision to expel over 1.8 million unregistered Afghan nationals had created a refugee crisis in Afghanistan and had raised Tensions between the two nations. This is besides the surge in the terror activity that has been witnessed in Pakistan that is said to have been tacitly backed by the Taliban in Kabul.
4: In other global news, the UK's family visa salary threshold hike is to be spaced out instead of being implemented all at once. The salary threshold will determine the eligibility to sponsor a spouse or partner on a family visa. The threshold hike will now take place in incremental stages. The move is being seen as a step down by the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, who is pushing for immigration reforms in the country. Earlier, the salary hike was expected to be done in one one go itself. But now, it is being done in parts. The annual salary threshold will initially rise to $36,827 in early 2024 from the current level of $23,620. This will be followed by two further increases. The final family visa hike will fully kick in by the year 2025. Earlier this month, British Interior Minister James Cleverly said on the floor of a Parliament that the final salary threshold will be at $49,145. Take a listen.
1: We will ensure people only bring dependents who they can support financially by raising the minimum income for family visas to the same threshold as the minimum salary threshold for skills workers, which is $38,700.
4: But the residents in UK are skeptical of this move, as it is going to put undue pressure on families to save up to uh, to save a lot to meet the visa requirements. Many are in fear that they will have to separate with their loved ones due to the new rules.
10: Look at two thirds of people on the street and say you don't have a right to fall in love with somebody who lives outside the UK. I mean that's that's what we it is. We already suffer from PTSD from our first these are and it's kind of reared its ugly head again um at the thought
11: of having to separate again and this time with a child in tow um which is totally unfair on on my child she has a right to have both her parents here
12: women have given their lives for this nation all the way from the beginning to this moment right now they did it so you could sit in those chairs and listen to me right now they did it so i could stand here and speak Without some jackbooted thugs coming in here, throwing chains on me and dragging me away, they did it so this nation could re- remain free and strong and proud and brave. And when I think about it, guys, every time it brings tears to my eyes. The way people have sacrificed for this nation, and then they hear people say that this nation is not good enough, that this nation is less than that this nation is racist. My God, where do you, what part of this country do you have to live in? Where are you at in your mind to say that this is a racist nation? Where? Show it to me, bring it to me, lay it at my feet. Any person that thinks that this is a racist nation, look here, I got a personal story to tell you. A personal story to tell you. I'm standing right here and I'm looking at all these different faces in here and I see people that don't look anything like me. Some of whom have embraced me in tears and tell me that they love me. And they don't love me because I'm a black man or because I'm a white man. They love me because we share a heart. We share a heart for this nation. We in this nation where people don't care what you look like anymore. Just as long as you're standing up for what's right. And that's why we're here tonight, folks. We're here to stand up for what's right. Because we know what's right, and we have right on our side. And I'm going to tell you, I'm telling you, as you sit in those chairs, as you stand there, as you listen to me, if you don't think this is a fight, all you got to do is turn on CNN for five minutes, and your mind will be changed. And so, what I'm going to leave you with here tonight, guys, is this. It's time to stand up and be strong. You know, I said for many years, if we had a president that would just stand up and say what needs to be said, he'd get something done. And we had one in number 45, we sure did. And he got some stuff done folks complained about how he did it, but I'm going to tell you like this. Now is not the time to be soft spoken and timid and afraid. Now is not the time to sit back and say, well maybe we can negotiate. Now is not the time to put a pipe in the corner of your mouth and say, well let's see what the book says about it. This is not the time for that folks. We are in a battle for the soul of this nation. The literal soul of this nation this nation is actually standing at a crossroads in a giant semi-truck called socialism is coming down the pike now is not the time to look at that look at our nation and say uh you need to look out there's a truck coming <laughs> now is not the time for that now is the time for us to stand up and say wake up america wake up You are about to give away one of the greatest gifts God has ever given to humanity. Humanity. You are about to give it away because you refuse to stand up like those who came before you. It is time for us to stand up, folks. It's time for us to be unafraid, unashamed, and unabashed with the truth that we have in us. And tell those socialist bastards who want to destroy this nation. You will not do it on my watch. You will not do it now. You will not do it ever. Because this is America. And I don't come from some weak yellow-back people. I come from people who survived the Middle Passage, and the potato famine, and who survived World War One and World War II, and Vietnam and Korea, and survived uh, and survived the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Folks who survived 9-11 and tore the efforts of those that thought they would vote us. I don't come from a weak and ineffective people. And if you want this fight, you bring it. Because we are ready. Because we don't back down and we don't give up. We will fight for the life of this nation, and we will fight for the future of our children. You don't believe it? You're going to get a lesson. The same way the British did, the same way the Germans did, the same way the Japanese did, the same way the Communists did, the same way those terrorists over in the Middle East did. You're going to get a lesson in what free men will do to hold on to their freedom. So hold on to your hats, communists. Hold on to your hats, socialists. The patriots are coming. And you're not going to like it when they get there. God bless you all. God bless the great state of North Carolina. And God bless the United States of America. Thank you.
2: The United States of America. found. This is... That was a black man. Some kind of... I don't know his name. I don't... Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson. You see how much in depth that we are in, and a system that is not for us. (sighs) But what I had to say, fam. Are you ready to be uncomfortable? Because they ready to do something to make you comfortable be uncomfortable. Hey, what's up this phase? Just trying to holler at y'all see what's going on. Had a lot on my mind reminiscing. Trying to figure out these things that are going on my mind. Trying to figure out some puzzles. I'm not here to start nothing. I ain't trying to start nothing. Just got some things that I want to get done. Some things that I want to get solved. Some things I want to enlighten myself with. So maybe y'all take a time and to get the opportunity to stop by and listen to my thoughts. Hope so. Very intellectual. So, if you get time, just holler. I'm reminiscing, all in my room, just trying to figure out a whole lot of things. Until then, y'all have a great day, and thank you for coming in and listening to me. Thanks. Bullets fly, another go all the wins, ain't worth that loss We've been down for way too long Getting tired of holding on I remember nights that I was lonely sorry for being holy Had to keep it on me, side it bro Had to keep my Oh, Pour up some liquor for, for the ones we lost And I'm so grateful for the time we got Some of my niggas never really got that shot I not let them down, i make them proud the way I move you know everything I do. Down it out, falling in.
13: Recently, Burkina Faso's president Ibrahim Traoré openly declared a battle against the western powers, making agreements that directly threaten their interests. These actions serve as a significant threshold for the west. Where crossing it could result in the replacement or assassination of any African leader. However, Ibrahim Traoré surprised the West by doing something they did not expect, rendering their assassination plots ineffective. So what exactly did Ibrahim Traoré do? Let's delve into the details in this video. In his tenure as the military leader who assumed power in Burkina Faso in 2022, Captain Ibrahim Faraharay has profoundly transformed the country's relationship with the West, particularly France, through his actions and statements. Prior to Troll's leadership, Burkina Faso, like many former French colonies, grappled with the complex legacy of colonialism. Many citizens perceived France as maintaining a neo-colonial influence, interfering in internal affairs and hindering the country's development. This sentiment fueled Trajare's determination to sever ties with France and assert Burkina Faso's autonomy. Moreover, Ibrahim Traoré and many Burkinabe citizens hold the belief that Western-backed solutions to challenges such as terrorism and poverty have proven ineffective. This disillusionment with Western interventionism has fueled a desire for alternative approaches including forging closer ties with non-Western powers like Russia. Additionally, a growing sense of Pan-Africanism across the continent has further fueled Traheré's grand plans, emphasizing African unity, self-reliance and rejecting external intervention. By challenging the status quo and defying the expectations set by the Western powers, Ibrahim Traheré has not only reached the threshold that the West sought to prevent African leaders from crossing, but also surpassed it. Leaving the West frustrated by his ingenious tactics. Captain Ibrahim Trahore recognized that removing France from Burkina Faso required consolidating support and power. Challenging a deeply rooted influence demanded significant strength and rejection. To achieve this, Trahore embarked on a secret mission discreetly removing French officials to keep foreign powers in the dark about his future plans. By reducing their presence, he aimed to minimize the chances of sabotage. His display of power began with expelling the French ambassador and suspending cooperation and long-standing ties with France. He also limited the spread of French media propaganda under the guise of journalism.
0: The U.S.'s very first move was to freeze credit against Zimbabwe. I'm sure you've heard the term credit freeze the last 10 months. It's a credit freeze by the World Banks that has brought the U.S. to its knees, destroyed the housing market, and caused a global economic catastrophe. I highlight that so you can understand how important credit is to a national economy, even the U.S.'s. The U.S. still has working farms, working factories, and a service sector, but credit alone has caused nearly 10% unemployment in only a few months. This is what the Brits and Americans did to a country with nowhere near the financial resilience of the United States. This was when Zimbabwe's economic troubles started, not during the land reclamation. Neither the BBC nor any other part of the white media has told this story, but you're about to hear it now. They instead talk about Zimbabwe's economic woes, and they always, always talk about the whites being forced off the land they stole. Check it out for yourself. Whenever Zimbabwe is mentioned, without exception, the article or news broadcast will talk about supersonic inflation and then immediately talk about the poor downtrodden whites who the mean old Mugabe is pushing off the land. This is done in order to create a false association in your mind between Zimbabwe's economic problems and whites being evicted from the land they stole. Even though Zimbabwe's problems are not at all related to the land reclamation program, rather the freezing of credit, financial assistance, and assets carried out by the U.S. on the behalf of Britain. They also keep talking about the farms. Like the whites are just farmer Joe working to feed the Africans. Let's get one thing straight. The Africans were no better off food-wise before Mugabe started taking the land back. The main people who benefited from the white so-called farmers in Zimbabwe were the whites in South Africa. The Africans have never had full bellies off of whites owning the farmland. But that's the way propaganda works. They want you to think that reclaiming the land has caused massive starvation, when it hasn't. The sanctions have hurt Zimbabwe. But Robert Mugabe, who has not committed an act of terror against the U.S., not supported anyone who has, has not even spoken in defense of anyone who has committed terror against the U.S., has sanctions put on him. So why is he on a terror watch list? Why can't he enter the United States? When Mugabe won the last election, the Whites realized he was going to finally go ahead and toss them all out. That's why we saw the fake outrage from them last year. They tried to go to the African Union, figuring that because they had created the African Union and had most of its members on strings, that it would be a simple matter to get the poor Africans to denounce Mugabe. And after that, they would get the Africans to authorize the Brits to send in the Marines. Of course, it didn't happen that way. The AU rejected what was an obvious attempt at recolonization. So, the Whites went running to the UN instead, figuring they would get their way there. But Mugabe had already shored up his political support on the UN through the alliances he'd built with China, who, as a permanent member of the UN Security Council, has veto power. And Russia also joined China in vetoing the Brits' plan to move forward with military action against Mugabe. The whites howled and screamed about it, how corrupt the U.N. is, because one vote is all it takes to derail the whites' well-laid plans, but those same whites have no problem when the U.S. is the only Security Council member to vote against condemning Israel for its violence against the Palestinians, or when the U.S. votes against a resolution condemning racism. Zimbabwe is a small, poor, weak country. But even so, Mugabe has outfought and outthought the Euro-clowns every step of the way. It just goes to show, anyone who says you can't beat the whites at their own game, never tried. This is why the white media can't get enough of hating the man. To them, he's like O.J. Simpson times a million. Every day they see him, they have to look at a black man. Who has shown the world that whites can be kicked around punched around beat around thrown off the land they stole forced to give back the money they robbed the world of and that if the non-white world bands together even the u.s can't do a damn thing about it it is the single most dangerous example of defiance toward white power that the modern world has ever seen but most blacks don't even know that it happened
1: yes so i was saying that so we've got the americans they've got the base now that is established as africom in zambia they've got military equipment deployed there ready to be deployed anyway in this region we've already got a standby base that is in uh hello I, I forget the name in Botswana. Mm. and then we now got the europeans having signed the new agreement with uh, with Faki. And I bring up the issue of Faki because he has been an instrument of the West, particularly the French, within the African Union. And he's the one who signed the European Peace Initiative that allows the European countries to choose and cherry-pick countries that they're going to give military equipment and that they're going to put military uh, training uh, advisors. And this can be used to make African countries fight each other. Then we've got South Africa. They're going into elections next year. The DA is looking to have a coalition that takes away power from the ANC and puts back power into the racist hands of the former apartheid system. And the DA has been very clear. It comes into power, it's going to sanction Zimbabwe. It comes into power, it's going to start aligning with the West. And now the question is, do we go back, if the DA comes in, are we going to have a African continental free trade area or are we going to go back to post-apartheid era where South Africa is used as a destabilizing force of this region to remove revolutionary governments and to remove particularly black governments that are strong in bringing empowerment to the region so that's another threat that is happening in south africa we need the anc to remain in power if we are going to have peace in this region and if we don't want the americans to have a foothold to try and destabilize this region with zambia and now south africa and botswana at least with with botswana masisi is not happy with the American situation that's why they've moved to Zambia where they've got their puppet. that they brought it yes so I was back in
11: 2016 the leading figures of the Brexit campaign Boris Johnson and Nigel Farage won the referendum with big promises for ordinary people
12: if we- June the 23rd, we can take back control of 300...
11: More money for the 000. NHS. Yeah.
12: And spend on our national... Yeah.
11: Less immigration. And more fish.
1: The fish
9: stocks are in our territorial waters. And if we vote for Brexit, we'll save this industry.
11: But despite the populist slogans, investigative research has since shown that the leave campaigns were financed by over 18.3 million pounds from rich donors. The UK has voted to leave the European Union. The result of the referendum was tight. 52% voted for a break with the EU.
1: The sun has risen on an independent, united kingdom. And just look at it, even the weather's improved.
11: But for many of the rich supporters of Brexit, the vote was not the end of their campaign, but the beginning. They began a bitter fight to shape Britain's exit from the EU according to their own agenda.
12: They needed working class votes. They needed people who were angry at the system to win a referendum. But to construct their vision of post-Brexit uh, Britain, they didn't need that anymore.
5: Former President uh, Jacob Zuma citing several reasons, in fact seven I counted, why he is making this decision, calling it the ANC of Ramaphosa, um, has an ANC leadership tactics. Uh, What do you make of this latest development? Uh, Thank you very much for having me and uh, good afternoon to your viewers. Yes, indeed. This is a, a huge uh, day for South Africa and the globe for a number of reasons. The seven reasons that you, you alluded to are, in fact, not surprising. Uh, you recall that um, uh, on the issue of uh, the chair of uh, the, the so-called State Capture Commission, uh, uh, Justice Zondo was not the first choice. Uh, you know that for a fact, there have been other people before and then later on he ascended into the stage and then what happened subsequent to that is history. And then, of course, the other issue is that uh, the former president is referring to, the anc behavior. He's absolutely right. Some of us have been writing about this issue, saying that uh, there are certain conventions that the ANC is known for, one of which is collective responsibility. For example, if the party has not done well, you don't point fingers at your comrades and say so-and-so is to blame. All you say is, we have not done well. And if the ANC has done well, you don't take credit as an individual, but you say collectively, we have done well. That is why most of the leaders of the ANC, whenever they address the masses, you will not hear them speaking in the the singular, saying, I have done this, I have done that. They say, we have decided to do this. Why? Because they believe in collective responsibility. And that is gradually fading away. That is why then the former president is raising concerns that indeed most of what is happening is an ANC, including, of course, the issue of expulsion, which he alluded to. You recall that the likes of Chris Haney were vocal within the ANC and they were about no certain things saying that uh, you guys are sitting in the offices in London in offices in Lusaga. We are down there experiencing uh, the harshness of the apartheid government. But then what you are saying, we are just speaking in theory, we are experiencing it firsthand. There was a meeting held in Morocco, in Tanzania, to deliberate on the issue, but no one was expelled, simply because the leader then Oliver Tambo said, people must be afforded an opportunity to raise their concerns. That is how we grow the organization. You cannot chase everyone the moment they differ with you. That is the lack of leadership. The
3: call to action is really one thing. Go to freecongo.org. Freecongo.org. When you get to that page, you have three actions that you can take. Chief among them is to put pressure on the tech companies that are benefiting from Congo's uh, Congo's Minerals. You have an opportunity to join the movement. That's a second option where you can click on the link and it says join the movement. It gives you a list of options that you can choose from uh, where you can be a volunteer. Uh, you can uh, contribute uh, financially. You can join a delegation. There are delegations that we lead to, to, to the Congo. So when you go to uh, to the join, click on the join the movement uh, link, it gives you a number of options. And then the third one, of course, is to make a uh, financial contribution to those organizations on the front lines that are fighting a courageous, dignified battle for a free and liberated Cong- Congo, a free and liberated Africa. So FreeCongo.org, go to FreeCongo.org in uh, an effort to become a part of uh, the global movement to free the Congo. A movement that's as important today as the Free South African movement was yesterday. Mm. Then. Uh, K- Kabila tried to shake himself loose of the Rwandan and Ugandan control. So he sent Kabarebi "Like get out. And they said, okay, we're leaving. But then they. this was like in 1997, right? 1997, late 1997, part into 1998. So they said, we're leaving, but we're coming back. So they invaded again. This time it was just Rwanda and Uganda and but and, and, um, Angola wasn't on their side.
12: Mm-hmm.
3: Kabila, Lauren Kabila was smart. He became a part of the Southern African development community. So when you had this U.S. and U.K. backed invasion by Rwanda and Uganda, Kabila said, hey, I need some help, guys. He reached south to Southern African Development Community. So now Angola, now Zimbabwe, now Namibia came to his side and slapped Kagame and Museveni mm-hmm. to the point where they had to back off. Right. Uh, they, they they weren't able to overthrow uh, Kabila, Lauren Kabila. And uh, a peace came about in in, two, in 2000, uh, 2002. So we, we saw what pan-African solidarity looked like coming to the side of, uh, of, of uh, Kabila, and we saw what uh, agents of neocolonialism looked like when Rwanda and Uganda were invading again for their own national interests and for, for their, their backers. Mm. Uh, half a century later, you see Africans uh, basically tearing Congo apart Right, they're going in to get pieces. Museveni famously said, "Congo is a banana plantation. You go and get what you want." Right. So these, instead of rallying around the Congo to support Congo for the benefit of Africa overall, they went in to ravage the Congo. So today, Rwanda is the largest producer of coltan in the world. Doesn't have coltan that Congo has. If you look from the late 90s right up to the present. Uh, the timber exports, the gold exports coming out of uh, Uganda skyrocketed, right? The United <laughs> Nations did four studies from 2001 to 2002. They said, uh, Paul Kagame, Yara Museveni, are the godfathers of the plunder of the Congo.
5: Our parties, Because for me, numbers don't lie. And it's not because I don't, I don't like um, the EFF or I like the EFF, but they're a small party. But PR makes them look big. They're Good. a very small party. EFF doesn't come close to the DA. EFF. currently that is correct yeah I'm, I'm telling you what it is because for me numbers don't lie
8: in southern part of india a particular god is being worshipped by the local people his name is uh, Murugan. he is always on top of the hill And you go back to Eastern Africa Even today For more than 25 tribals Worship A god Which is on the hill His name is Murungu. And obviously there's no connection Between these two people Over 7000, 8000, 10,000 years So I'm trying to Bridge The gap There is A distinct and clear connection between the ancient India and the ancient Africa.
0: Breaking the state monopoly on it, opening up electricity generation and supply to the private sector. I thought it was done. No, it hasn't been done. ESCOM still has a monopoly on generation and supply. We'd roll out at a national level what we've done in the city of Cape Town and the province of the Western Cape, where we'd bring in the private sector, independent power producers, and provide feedback tariffs to encourage people to get off the grid and to then bring the private sector in. And that would be applied to all state-owned entities, ports, harbors, public-private partnerships like have been done around the world with big companies to buy ports world, um, Rotterdam agency and Thai agencies to be able to take over the ports so we can bring in efficiency. You cannot run an economy particularly bringing exports and import, with ports that are congested as they are now. You think they are
1: idiots, they are white people, they believe they are smarter than us. So they give you banana to catch monkey, you give him banana. So after a, a while, they bring documents for you to sign. You haven't even read what is in the document because the dollar is so they didn't attractive. They force you to sign it. Uh, huh? When you are seeing dollar like this, they didn't force you. There's nothing as forceful as dollar to our politicians. Because after every election, they are planning for the next election. Link Kuan Yu didn't tell you that. This is a science subject. You just carry his book and you read it. link Kuan you told you that after every election, every, an average politician start getting ready for the next election. So, you they not this white man. They, are, they believe they are, smart. they are not smarter than I am because me, I will argue with them. I will quarrel with them. And all the other things that I will do that will not.
8: Mediterranean people came. They mingled with the local black people. And obviously, there is a certain amount of intermingling and maybe a slight change in features that is the people they started calling themselves Dravidians I maybe brother you in, know in, you might be able to give a little detailed definition as what the Dravidian means I'm not quite sure even though I call myself a Dravidian but anyway that is how the word Dravidian came into picture to me Dravidian and a black are one at the same as a matter of fact that is how it is being used in the Vedas and scriptures of the Hindu religion which I'll go into a little later and even today in India normally the dark skinned people are referred as Dravidians okay. when these Dravidians were living comfortably about uh, 3000 BC between 3,000 and 2,000 B.C. Nomadic white Aryans came from the Central Asia. They were looking for food. They were just wandering around. They were huge, big people. The one thing, sadly, they had is their domesticated horses which the Dravidians did not with the heart's power of being nomadic barbarians they had all the skills of killing and beating so when they walked into Indus Valley civilization they found a glorious people living so first thing they wanted to do is to conquer the people and to learn and to possess everything what these people had a conflict took place a war took place it went on for several hundred years obviously when these the people came, when the Aryans came there's no very clear cut statistics how many women came with them the, the perception is that not too many women they brought with them the white women So there is already a mixing of color started during the period of struggle. So when the white man started having offsprings closer to white skin, not exactly white closer to white skin, they started dividing these people into different groups. The highest being the purest white The second group little darker, the third group is little darker, and then they assigned positions or jobs or trades according to the color, the the purest color had the best job. The second color, the lowest color had the second level job, and the third level color had the third level job, and the fourth one is the darkest color the purest guy, the white man they called themselves Brahmins Brahmins, the word Brahmin comes from the word Brahma Brahma is the creator of the the religion that they later on invented when they came in they did not have a religion our ancestors had nature worship that is what they did they did not have any ritualism they simply worshipped the sun and the rain and the fire and the air, that is the type of worship they had. They also worshipped cattle, cows, and the bulls because that is what is used in their agriculture. So they merit...
10: It's estimated that in Africa, between 56 and 72 million children work in agriculture. Ground's really uneven, boiling, boiling hot, so humid and sweaty. Hot and humid are exactly the right conditions for growing cocoa, but horrible to work in. All the same, there are 600,000 small family farms like this one all over Ghana. Do they grow on the trunks? And they produce most of the country's cocoa. They, they grow like up the trunk. I did not know that. Today, Patrick's uncle is giving me a crash course in cocoa production. I had no idea at all that yeah. cocoa pods grew up around uh-huh. this one. The trunk. Oh it's good. That one's right? uh uh-huh. This one is ripe. And, and this one is spoiled. It's not great. And they just keep going up and up. It's amazing. I can't believe how magical the space is. There's trees literally everywhere. I didn't realize they grew so close together and the way that all the cocoa pods wind themselves around the trunk is just amazing. Um, one thing that I've really noticed is the leaf litter. I think you can probably hear it. I'm scraping through so many of the large cocoa pod leaves. Obviously in leaves there can be hidden snakes. So it's not surprising that lots and lots of children get bitten. In Ghana, it's illegal for children under 13 to work. After that, they're allowed to do light work. that won't interfere with their schooling. 11-year-old Patrick is one of the lucky ones uh, as you he you attends school. But many thousands away. of children in cocoa growing areas don't go to school regularly because they're working so hard in the plantations.
11: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And wretched whether or not, the rush is on for a mineral the DRC has in great abundance, cobalt. And it's fast becoming more precious than gold. It's a critical ingredient in lithium-ion batteries which power smartphones and laptops. An army of children are at the heart of the mining production. Wearing no shoes and in the most wretched conditions, Dorsan is ordered to retrieve the sack he's forgotten. There's an urgency now. The rains make this dangerous work even more risky, and Dorsan's told in no uncertain terms he risks a beating if he messes up again. Dorsan, with Richard beside him, have worked all day. They're 8 and 11 years old. Even as punishing work doesn't guarantee enough for food, Gorsan hasn't eaten for two days now. This is what Helpless looks like and he's one of the children making millions for multinational corporations in America and China whilst they suffer in squalor. For this, they'll get maybe eight British pence a day. See
2: fam, that's why I got a nasty taste in Africa. That's why I think the leaders of Africa and the men of Africa are cowards. And if the ones is not coward, the rest of them wicked as hell. How can you have a little five or six year old boy in the rain, digging up dirt, holding a 20 pound bag, going back and forth over materials that you're not using, over materials that you're not benefiting from, and you're not even getting the wealth from. That's why I say the mindset of the people in Africa and different countries, them joke is crazy, man. Their mindset is crazy. I don't understand this. That's why I say most of them was on that yellow bus. Because the things that I see, the things that I observe, and the things that I notice, no wonder. The non-pigmentation man, the non-melanated man treat them the way they they treated. They they can't jail together and be one. They want to sit back and oppress each other over colonialism, white supremacy and KKK. They clowns, y'all. I'm not going to say all of them clowns, but I'm going to say 80% of them clowns because every time, every time I listen to some content that's going on in Africa, I get a knot in my gut because these clowns are clowns that ride that yellow bus with that helmet on.
8: Thing, but I called you my own.
14: That land I gave you put my name in my home. Yeah, that's my home, Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, I made a promise, can't nobody take it. I told to put you above all the nations. Out of your graves I chose to awaken. We made a covenant, don't you forsake it? Come get protected, while they going crazy. Israel, my firstborn, my baby. Israel, my firstborn, my baby. I woke you up in your land of captivity I do not change, I want you to remember me Laws and commandments, I gave you the remedy Go read the testimonies for your memory I said them problems, but you wasn't hearing me I come to you if you really come near to me I heard your cry, now it's time to take it to me I know what got you from all of your enemies Who you know, open the sea Them waters was bitter, but I made it sweet you ain't know how to swim I'm, I'm your protector, so I made you walk on your feet This a reminder you, you married to me I just want you to be all I called you to be They called you niggas, but I made you priests I'm about to give you back everything I'm sending plagues for you I'm sending boys drying up rivers I leave them dead for you Tell Pharaoh, let my people go You heard what I said for you Tell Pharaoh, let my people go You heard what I said for you For you Have I known? Y'all, the main ones I'm watching on my throne. Created everything, but I called you my own. That land I gave you, put my name within my home. Uh, Yeah, that's my home. I'm the reason you went in captivity. We made a covenant, you ain't remember me. I wrote the covenant, I sent your enemies Hit all my land since you wasn't fearing I'm, I'm, I'm the reason they put you in chains I'm the reason they switched up your name I'm the reason why you in the hood I'm the reason of all your pain I'm sending flows fast daily Think I don't love you, y'all my babies Came out some. must be crazy Come off that system, come out of that lane. They got that military, it would not phase me It would not move me, it would not graze me Remember Egypt, I did all that for my people you only ever I known Y'all the main ones I'm watching on my throne Created everything, but I called you my own That land I gave you, put my name in my home uh, Yeah, that's my home You only ever I known Y'all the main ones I'm watching on my throne Created everything, but I called you my own That land I gave you, put my name in my home. Yeah, that's my home, Israel.